0: Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in ho- founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. In this episode, I interview Andrew Jones, Tech Lead of Data Infrastructure Team at GoCardless. I reached out to Andrew after he posted a link to his Medium post on LinkedIn about data contracts, which led to a big increase in the number of conversations happening around data contracts. This was one of the things that led me to kind of do more of a deep dive. The link to that post is in the show notes. Andrew, in the episode, shares the story of how Operational system changes kept breaking downstream data consumption. Does that sound familiar to some folks? Especially using CDC or change data capture. The engineers couldn't easily use the CDC tooling as CDC didn't structure the data for easy consumption. It's difficult for the application engineers to use the CDC, and it was uh, difficult for the data consumers and the data engineering team to take what was coming from Change Data Capture and really put that into a proper uh, data model. Andrew wasn't really sure how the other people were handling taking the API contract concept and leveraging it for data. So he started building out some generic tooling to let data consumers and producers feel somewhat comfortable with their data contracts. So this was when he made his post was basically He was having some issues and decided that, well, I'm going to try and do this myself. Uh, When Andrew started looking, there really wasn't any tooling that spoke to the challenges they were seeing at GoCardLens, hence rolling a lot of his own. A big revelation for Andrew was in helping data consumers make better asks for data. The data consumers weren't used to asking the producers for data, especially in a reliable and scalable way. Again, this is another through line that I'm seeing in a lot of these conversations of facilitating and um, and encouraging these conversations between data consumers and data producers because it's just not the way most people have done it. So Go-Kart list now has an actual standard form for data consumers to use to request data and that, that is working quite well. The People process side was yet again the big challenge over the technical. GoCardless plans to completely remove their change data capture architecture by the third quarter of this year and replace it using data contracts. They're focusing on providing tooling to give domains the autonomy to serve data to consumers in their own way. While GoCardless isn't doing data mesh, especially with the lack of interoperability between data products and the lack of of source slash producer aligned data products, Seems to be working for Go Cardless thus far. I think you can take a lot of learnings from this conversation and apply it to your own data mesh journey. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. really excited about this episode here today I've got Andrew Jones who's the tech lead of the data infrastructure team at go cardless um, I had asked Andrew to be on because he had posted something on LinkedIn about um, you know what they were trying to do with data contracts and it was kind of around the first time that I had just talked with uh, Olivier Buverick about schema contracts data contracts kind of this emerging concept, and I just saw there was a ton of attention around this. Started to dig into it, and it's it's led to multiple other episodes and things like that. So uh, I wanted to get kind of the um, the person that that started it all for me um, down that path uh, on. But I, I also understand that you know somebody like Abby has been working on a lot of their solutions for a little bit longer. So uh, you know, I, I think. This will be really, really helpful to talk about where you are with this, what you've tried and kind of what led to the the genesis of even making the post and things like that. But before we jump into all of that, Andrew, if you don't mind giving uh, a little bit of an introduction to yourself and GoCardless, and then then we can kind of jump in.
1: Yeah, sure. Yes, I say I'm a tech lead of our identity infrastructure team at GoCardless. We're a fintech company based in London, um, providing payment solutions to our businesses. Um, particularly with coding payment solutions uh, built on top of things like Direct Debit and Open Banking. Um, our customers include people like Klarna, DocuSign, as well as a number of like utilities and charities and health and people like that. Um, I've been like, at GoCarless now for over four years. Um, when I joined, I was originally the first hire in our data infrastructure team. Um, we're now over 800 people, so growing rapidly. Um, that's kind of partly what's led to like this change and looking at data contracts and changing how we build the data platform
0: awesome that's 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 helpful uh background and and you know it's a growing startup it's it's <laughs> one of those things with the scale where everything's kind of one-off custom built until all of a sudden it needs to not be right that's that's kind of the overall story of I, I think this is where people are really asking what's data mesh for startups because like, how do you prevent yourself from going down that one off solution <laughs> where you go? I don't know if this thing's going to be anything. Should we build it to scale or how do we build it so that we can decompose it easily to build it to scale and things like that? But um, so, so that that's really great. And as I said, you you made this post on, um, on, I think, Medium or whatever, but you posted about it on LinkedIn and, and it got a lot of attention. What what was the problem that you're, you were seeing or still are seeing? What led you to kind of go down this path as to start thinking about data contracts and how you might uh, implement something like this?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of things, really. Um, started about a year, year and a half ago. Um, and uh, I have regular meetings with like, our BI teams, data science teams, or data consumers, and Quite often, they'll talk about how like a bracket change would affect their models, affect their reports. Um, quite often, talk about the amount of effort they need to put in to um, to kind of get value out of the data, um, and that's because at the time, the only data they were getting was through our talk change day capture service that so was bringing in raw data from our our production database and bringing it into BigQuery as a data warehouse, um, and then from then on, the consumers had to go in and Transform our data and use and and make that data useful to them to try and get the insights. Um, so we kept hearing about these kind of issues with data, but like really, we wasn't really doing much to try and solve them upstream. The second thing I was hearing was more from our engineers, and some of them, you know, as we were scaling, they time to look at sort of data technology, data tooling, um, and they weren't really using our tooling. They often were trying to build their own thing or doing something slightly differently, and that's because our tooling was built quite specifically to handle our J Data Capture pipeline and was very specific to the data that we um produced that we, produce, we can't manage that we kind of took ownership of once it kind of got into our pipeline. So I come here with these two things and I kind of thought well there must be like a better way to do this. Um, I kind of thought like if it wasn't data, like how would we do it as like engineers? And you think about it, you basically would put like an API in front of it and you would create this kind of abstraction between Obviously kind of interface between the, the generators of the data in this case and the consumers of this data. And that's where I started thinking, getting the name from like data contracts. Like it's kind of this contract between the consumer and generator. An API is contract between a uh, person calling that and person um, making that available. Essentially, what we want, the same thing for data is what I thought. It's like we want an interface between the consumers and generators. Um, and the second thing I thought, well, if we have a contract, like a structure of the data and schema, then that we can build tooling that will work with any data. As long as we just dis- have the right description of data and right level description, like categorization, uh, whether it's post data or not, a like kind of schema, um, we can build tooling that doesn't care what data it is specifically, but can work with any kind of data. And that tooling could be data to archive, or in our case, from pubs up to BigQuery. It could be data to carry out GDPR deletions. Um, could be data just, It could be tooling just for backups. But like... We, could, we should be able to build our tool in more generic, is what I was thinking, and therefore serve the engineering as well, the engineering teams who had data requirements that were not being met by the data construction team at that time. There's kind of those two things together that led me towards data contracts, towards um, sort of schema data, towards um, the idea of a contract between generators and consumers.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's something that. A lot, lot, lot of people are seeing. So um, you you started to go down this path and I, I, the article was kind of you, at least how I read it was that you were like, we're early days. We're trying to figure this out. Is anybody else doing this? It was almost a, a beacon or not, not necessarily a cry for help, but a cry for, Hey, are we alone here? Are we the only ones who haven't figured this out or what? And then everyone's like, "No, no, no one else has figured it out, really, either." So, um, what what were you you were trying to to head down this path to build generic tooling? Um, you know, maybe how far have you gotten towards that, or or what what have you learned along the way that you're still trying to to execute on for this?
1: Yeah, so um, we spent really a lot of time. Talking to various people in business, like, talking to like, everyone really, all the different engineering teams, all the kind of consumers, um, to really understand like how best we could solve this problem. And everyone was kind of excited by date contracts. Like we got really good buy-in from from both sides. Um, when we started building, we did converse buy. Can we start building it out? Where we are now is we've released our first version of date contracts. Um, doesn't do a great deal on its own. It's um, it allows you to define a contract. Um, it sets up the kind of resources we need for, to manage that data. So that would be, in our case, um, Google Cloud PubSub, BigQuery, a service to archive data from PubSub, BigQuery, um, and, like, and um, services around backups as well. Um, and we have about a dozen or so people now using it in production um, to move data around the company. Um, it turns out actually that most of the people using it so far are using. So we talk about data consumers, like often we're thinking about data science and BI and this sort of and people like that, but the way you go cold at the moment and the way we're kind of scaling is actually a lot of engineering teams also need to consume from each other, um, typically via PubSub, so we're moving towards a more event-based architecture. and Actually, that's been one of the um, biggest take-ups of data contracts so far is to kind of satisfy its inter-service communication, become kind of a nice side effect really. We kind of hoped that it would help in this solution. main focus was around them. Um...
0: Sorry, there was an audio issue here. So that is why there's a little bit of a uh, break in the flow. This seems to be something that is pretty common on the operational side about how you have API contracts for sharing data on the operational side, right, of how can services consume from each other, you know, across microservices, or maybe even across domains that you have kind of more firm domain boundaries, and it might not be microservice to microservice, but it might be domain to domain where you're making these, these kind of API contracts and that those have essentially schema contracts embedded in them because the API itself has a schema, but it's not directly tied to a schema, you know what I mean? So, there's that concept and so it's, it's kind of interesting that you're seeing more and more take up from that did, did, did you have a lot of those same contract concepts that people were already consuming from each other with or what like what, what were you seeing on the operational side where this was more offering more uh, value to the domains to consume from each other
1: yeah, so at the time in Carlos, like we had, or we still have really, one kind of big monolith service um, and everyone kind of builds on that. And we're starting to move to splitting that up into different services. So before then, really, we didn't have a need for sort of service-to-service communication. Um, but now we do. At the same time, I was thinking about date contracts. I was also seeing this happen um, in Carlos in engineering. And um, essentially, date contracts, for me, was like, Okay, this works for service to service. Why can't it work for like service to data services as well? Like, there's no difference in my mind, really. Um, so, kind of these things that kind of inspired me or that kind of influenced me is like, this works for um, engineering for services. The same pro- same principle should be able to work for data, and that's kind of where we end up with data contracts and where we where we came from. Really, kind of coming from that direction.
0: Yeah, and and I think. Um... Abhi Asylum from Flexport had talked a little bit about um, within data contracts, there needs to be something around um, what is the actual contextual information to the data, right? Like not just is this, does this comply? Because, you know, okay, somebody did a refactor and you went from weight in pounds to Stones, right? So somebody's weight just drops by, you know, what is it, thirteen x or whatever. Um, so, like, how are you thinking about that aspect of it as well? Because what what you said it makes perfect sense of these contract contracts or are contracts or are contracts. But when it comes to data, there's additional meaning. There's the the um, I can't even think of the word right now, but that. It's not just, does this conform? Is this a number or is this a string? It's, does this thing still mean what, what we thought it meant, you know, two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago? Like, have, it's so new. Are you running into that challenge yet? Or how are people monitoring that so that they can say, hey, we're we're changing these aspects of it or we're preventing these aspects of it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Like at this stage, people can define a contract. Um, we're not using like Avro or Protobuf or anything like that. We've kind of got our own uh JSON net, but we've got kind of got our own definition. So we can include things in there like whether it's personal data, whether it's uh, relates to like a merchant or a customer in kind of our terms. Um but it's still like the actual um, validation of that contract. It's still converted down to a reason protocol schema on Pub/Sub, Google PubSub, which has support for schemas. Um, and it's just doing validation at red level. So it can only tell you, like, it will accept the data. Is it a string or is it a number? And based on that, it will accept or reject the data. So yeah, we're not doing anything at the moment where you can't validate the kind of context of data, meaning of data, like, has this changed from, yeah, sort of pence to pounds, or whatever it might be. Um, That's something we probably, well, are something we definitely will look at in future. Um, We've looked in the past at things like using great expectations for this kind of thing um, or using kind of consumer-driven testing for this kind of thing. Only, only really like exploratory. We haven't really deployed any of these things. Um, so I think it's something we probably will do in the future. Or maybe we can look at um, like an, sort of a anomaly detection um, tooling where like, you know, suddenly all your values kind of change in, the decimal point changes, because you've changed from like, um, cents to dollars, then maybe that will be a anomaly detection alert that can be sent. Um, but yeah, nothing we currently do. We currently, get, we, like you mentioned at the start, we're currently quite an early stage, where um, and all we're doing really is defining like the schemas and the types and, and validating that.
0: Well, yeah, I mean it's it's an evolution, right? It's not, yeah. it's not a zero to one. It's not a one day you have it, one day you, or one day you don't have it, one day you do. It's um, so you, you talked a little bit about the consumer-driven testing and, and things like that. Are you, right now with this, is it that it is either compliant or non-compliant, or can people use what you've set up now to test whether a change is going to break, and maybe yeah. even what it's going to break?
1: Yes, yeah, at the moment it's more like, is it compliant non not compliant? Currently, because we're relying on PubSub to do the schema validation, um, PubSub at the moment does not allow you to change a schema on on the topic. So you have to kind of create a new topic. So that creates quite a um, quite a heavy kind of migration path. Um, but it also means that consumers or the generators but not changing their schemas often. They're taking quite a lot of care to decide like, the right schemas. We are talking to the consumers a lot. Um, and because we're quite early on, we haven't had too many kind of schema changes as yet in data contracts. Um, so yeah, it's not a problem we're currently hitting. We probably will in future. Um but yeah, still early days for us really. I mean, the, the thing is this is a lot better than like what we had before with the ch change capture service where an engineer would just change like they're changing the internal state of the service. So they're changing their in our case, Postgres database, they're changing their table schema, maybe adding and remove columns, change the type of column. Um and these things would be changed and they could generators would have no idea like some of the consumers relying on them for like a data science model, for a form model, or for revenue numbers, or something. I think it's just break, maybe sometimes silently. Um, it's not even that validation on a sort of TDC service. So even having like just the types validated, just documentation for the data, um, just for generating consumers talking to each other, even that's quite a big win compared to where, where we were before.
0: Yeah, and one thing that I'm seeing kind of emerge uh, on the data mesh side is. Pushing people away even from that pub sub model um, in a certain way because again, what you said of uh, you can't change the schema on it. So if they're consuming from an endpoint, you can change what that pub sub thing is 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 pushing to that that endpoint. You could change a different stream to pointing to that endpoint if that endpoint doesn't care. Right. Like if, if you're adding a new column or something like that, somebody who's consuming from it, they're not going to care because it's not going to break. But then you might alert them that, oh, this person is, uh, hey, you, you're consuming from this. We're, we've added additional information. And so, you know, that you've got instead of a direct consumption of just consuming the fire hose, which is what PubSub really is, you've got, um Kind of that additional layer of, okay, I'm not going to break this thing on you simply because we're making a change that it wouldn't break what you're doing anyway, and so um, I'm seeing that emerge, but it's not necessarily something that's uh, well documented out there of how to do it or how to prevent yourself from. Again, you can get tied too easily to, oh, we have to continually serve this single API instead of being able to evolve, which is is something that in data mesh, the the conversations back and forth can happen. And and it's awesome that you're talking about that this is a tooling thing, but 90% of what it sounds like is happening is just more conversations. And so those conversations are like, oh, I should care and, and I can care about who is going to be consuming my data because this has always been one of the, the problems, I think, with um, why people talk about, you know, data exhaust and that, you know, data is a byproduct, not part of the product of, of this is that you, as a producer, you couldn't care, right? You, you just, there wasn't enough information that where you could say, Hey, we're going to make this change. Is this going to break anybody? Nobody says anything because nobody could test that it was going to break, what they were going to do. So then you made it and then uh, you will hear all this pain and noise. And then it's like, well, we already did it. And okay. Now to fix it, we need you to get it on our backlog and all that versus kind of that proactive slowing down a bit to speed up where, where you're, you're just, uh, working together instead of it's, uh, you know, it's not that each or is kind of doing its own thing. You're, you're rowing together as, as an overall team. So that's, that's, that's awesome to hear. What, what have you found maybe that that hasn't worked super well, or, or has there been things that you, you tested out and, and you didn't like, or, um, just trying to figure out like, what, what are some pathways that you went down that we can prevent others from from having to do the same work that didn't work.
1: Yeah, a lot of the um, the challenges really have been around this kind of stuff you we are just talking about, right? So, like, first of all, we had to find out, like, who actually owns some of this data in the monolith? Like, there wasn't necessarily um decade owners to some of this data. So asking them to try and adopt a contract is like, well, who do you talk to? Who owns payments? Who owns whatever entity we've got in there? Um, we also found, like, with their consumers, but I didn't really know how to ask for the data I wanted. They were kind of used to getting um this kind of data, this privacy service, but I didn't know they could ask, I didn't know how to ask, I didn't know who to ask. So we've been working with them and we kind of set up a built like a template for them to go and ask for the kind of um the kind of data they want. Like not necessarily design a contract, but like to set the requirements of the data they want and why they need it. Um so yeah, a lot of the challenges really has been around that kind of side, around the around getting generators and to talk to each other, around getting them to speak the same language, um, and um, around getting them to, to design good data models. Another thing we have is like, these engineering teams, they're not data engineers, and they haven't had to design data models before. They might have designed APIs, which is somewhat similar, but not necessarily data models. They don't know how best to architect that in, the, in a data warehouse, for example. Um, so we're looking at how we can support, best support them with like common patterns, um, maybe asking our BI team to maybe get a bit more involved and for deploy BIs and like, help them model that data. Um, but you, you know the BI team have the expertise in that area, but the engineers necessarily, don't necessarily have that and they can be a bit lost in terms of like, how do I structure this data? So yeah, a lot of the been around that side, really, um, rather than technical. The technical solution we've got is, is fairly basic and it's fairly straightforward at this stage. It's just like schemas, essentially, um, with a bit of nice things around that. Um, So really, it's been the other side, the kind of the the kind of the um, talking to people side that has taken been the most challenging, I would say, so far.
0: It's it's a lot of what you're doing echoes like everybody's experience with data meshes too. Is is I talked to somebody um, who's really helping evolve a a very large multi-billion dollar company, and they said that um, they uh, went in and and there's this super super crucial. Um, service that like a lot, lot, lot of people get their data from. And, you know, there's 10 downstream consuming teams and, you know, all all this stuff, like just big, big, this is the key thing. You know, it's, it's, it related to e-commerce and it's like their orders. Right. And the consumers and the producers had literally never spoken. right? (laughs) So so if, if you're able to open source your template of just like, how do people <laughs> talk to each other? Like that type of stuff is useful. Of how do you you generate these conversations? Um, I talked with Max Schulze from Zalando, um, and his his episode just came out, and um, he talked about they had a, a thing on their um, on their tooling where literally the data engineering team couldn't control the schema of the pipelines. So if there were something that somebody wanted, they had to go to the producing team. They couldn't ever go to the data engineering team to get it fixed. So it was like this little kind of organizational hack of (laughs) you want this data, you have to go to the producer and and talk about that. But that that kind of soft transition into having those conversations is, is really interesting. And it comes up repeatedly, which I was pretty surprised about, of people just not going and talking to each other. Cause I think it's just been taboo. It's just weird. But um, so like you said, you're, you these things are kind of basic at this point. Um, lots of different avenues we could go down, whichever one you, you want to prefer, but like, do you want to talk about how you're looking to evolve the, the technology or how you're looking to maybe make organizational changes or, like, you know, you, you've, it seems like everybody's kind of pitching in to help each other. Is this something where it's okay to have those kind of 80-20 or 80% of your time is spent on your normal job, 20% is spent on other things? Or, like, what what do you think is more interesting to talk about for you?
1: Yeah, well, our main focus at the moment, really, is try and get to a position where we can turn off our um, change that capture architecture and change that capture service. And we want to try and do that this year by Q3. Um, and we're being quite aggressive on that um, because we want to try and force this this organization to change through. Like we want to try and get the data moved on to date contracts. We want to try um, and get the data consumers generators talking to each other. We we'll want to try and get ownership of the data. Um, and also we are, we're a quite a small team. We, we can't maintain both and and do both effectively. So we're going to be quite aggressive. And we're going to try and decommission the um, change data capital services. Um, and yeah, that's going to involve a lot. Technically, we don't have to do much more. Like the actual technology we've got is is not far. I mean, there's a few things we need to do to improve that, but like nothing, nothing too big. Um, the main thing is like, yeah, talking to people, finding data owners, um, getting the contract set up, designing good contracts and get people migrated. We found actually on the consumer side, we're a bit right about the migration path as well, and like how much effort that's going to take. Um, so, what you're trying to do right now is like find a really good example of like a team who I'm doing migration and try and run through this with them and try and like show everyone like you know it's not a lot of work. What we expect for the consumers is you'll be deleting a lot of your SQL, a lot of your joins, um, a lot of transformations because you'll be getting better quality data. And you only have to do this migration once, and therefore, going forward, there should be fewer migrations because in like an API, these teams are committed to to keeping this data stable for you, even if they might change the underlying data, maybe change the underlying database, maybe change, uh, spit it out and move it to a different service, or they change the capital completely independently of consumers as long as they continue to publish good quality data down by contract.
0: Well, and, and you've got that signed contract, right? Or, yeah. or not, not uh, I did talk to, I posted about data contracts on Reddit and somebody was talking about literally signing <laughs> contracts, like there are literal, Internal team to team contracts as to consumer producer, but you've got the ability to say, okay, we know now who is consuming it and how. And oh, we've been sharing these, these, you know, these 15 tables, but we looked and literally nobody's consuming tables two, seven, and and 12. So we're going to cut those off or we're going to go and talk to those people and say, this is, why, this is why two is important. Here's why seven is important. And okay, yeah, we agree. 12 doesn't make any, any sense. So let's get rid of it. But like you have that, that ability to, to check who's doing what and why. Um, and so you, you kind of talked about this. This is something that I'm hearing a lot of. The technology for a lot of this stuff isn't that hard. It is much more the organizational how do you think about your application model is going to evolve? Right. And so you you talked about that your the data model itself, you're not going to, you know, as the application model, you know, how you're storing the data changes, you're not really looking to, or you're trying to, to get the producing team to understand that they can't just change what data they're sharing and and break their contract. But how do you? how have you been communicating? I know it's early days, but how have you been communicating like your application model is going to evolve pretty quickly, but your data model also evolves. And so, you know, the meaning of something can change quite a bit and you don't want to stick to this is the query when it no longer makes sense for the business. Right. Yeah. So, are you having those conversations yet or how, how are you setting that up or are you just trying to, to kick that can down the road? Cause you're trying to get the, the infrastructure and the organizational understanding in place before you start to say, Oh, and everything's going to keep evolving and, and you can't, you know, lock yourself into place on anything.
1: Yeah. It's a mix really. I think, um, yeah, some teams are going to just kind of lift and shift their, um, a table structure and put it in a contract and say, I've got a date contract now, um, migration complete, Um, and not really look at how they might want to model their data in the best way for the company as it is now. Uh, Other teams will take the time to model their data, talk to their consumers, and produce something of a lot better quality. Um, But yeah, clearly the models will evolve over time. We have have supported that. We do have support for moving to different versions. We're going to write up what we think are best practice for migrations, um, have a good talk to consumers um how long they to kind of draw right to the two contracts. So let's say I'm moving version one to version two of say payments. Um we very similar again, like keep using the analogy, but like it really works when talking to engineering teams in particular and like p- producers, it's like it's just like an API. Like <laughs> if you are like say your GitHub, your API is fairly stable. You might add their points, you might um add kind of um expand the results we return, and they are compatible changes. And we will eventually, when Google PubSub supports it, compatible changes will be fine. And they can do that with quite low effort. Um, but if you're making a big change, then you need to create a new version, and you need to have a migration path for people, and you need to communicate that to users. Um, and you might say, OK, for two months, I'm going to draw right to these two versions, and then I'm going to move over. And that gives the time for, say, for data scientists to update the full model to use a new data or Reporting, or just other engineering teams. Like one of engineering teams is trying to integrate with our billing platform, and they have the same problems that BI do and data science do. Is that they need kind of good quality data to write to work out what to build. People, Um, and they don't want it to like. I don't want to have to work it all out themselves. Do all the joins. They want good quality data. They want data that they can rely on. Build this this service that they need to build, and expect it to work for a good while without making changes.
0: And you, you use the phrase quality data a lot. Um, quality can mean many different things. Like how how are you defining that internally? Is it just that it is uh, correct or that it is structured in such a way that it is prepared for the consumers or is it um, prepared in, you know, data mesh talks about preparing data in such a way that it is sharing the context of the producer and then you might create additional things additional data products downstream of that that are aligned more with what the consumers want so like how are you thinking about that
1: that aspect yeah it's a good question actually i was talking to my product manager a few days ago about this kind of thing and we haven't got a definition of date quality like currently inside go and uh we think we need one now like we want an opinion Punyated version of what we say is data quality, um, and I think it'll be things like it'll be things like valid schema, it'll be versioned, it's documented, things like that, discoverable. Um, but probably, yeah, I'll probably go on beyond that and like have to do a bit of research on like we kind of things like you mentioned for data mesh. They sound like things we should include in there as well. Um, so currently, we're yeah we're saying we want quality data, we haven't defined it as yet, but I think probably need to do quite soon. As the more we use this word, like the more. We want to be opinionated. What that means? What do you think that means is psycho Carlos?
0: Well, and with with data mesh, I, I have been getting a lot of flack from people because I say that startups don't need to go to data mesh, and that so part of data mesh is again, it's creating these um, producer source aligned data products where you you're like, okay, this matches the producer's business context as much as possible. So then you're not saying, okay, here are the questions that people want to answer. It's this is providing the ability to answer questions that the the business didn't necessarily anticipate and and cross correlate and combine this data, interoperate it with data from other domains. And so you've got uh, all these different things, but if you're not really driving into a lot of ML and things like that, do you really need that versus, well, we can just skip to Here's what the consumers want. So (laughs) let's just give the consumers what they want and not worry about giving the consumers what they don't know, what we don't know that they want and that they don't know that they want, but they can kind of data spelunk, right? That data scientist, like, okay, I'm really going to try and cross correlate all this stuff and find really interesting insights. That's useful, but cost benefit there. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot just because it's not something that you've probably dug into too much. But are you thinking more of you're focusing at least to start on the what do the consumers want? And let's let's serve their their current desires. And then we might think about the other stuff later down the road. Is that kind of the pathway that you're on?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, very much. Yeah, exactly that. So asking consumers to specify what I want and to grab what I want and then ask the generators to generate that for them. Yeah.
0: And are you managing this on a table by table basis? I, I, within data mesh, you know the recommendation is to collapse a lot of these into kind of a product, right So it's not that you've got 500 tables that are all first order concerns that are so you know if some if everything's first priority, nothing's first priority. are you are you doing that as kind of tables or kind of combining it together where you think of things in, in a broader sense or
1: yeah, we're well, quite lucky actually, because as I mentioned, we're we're scaling company, and therefore a lot of teams, engineering teams, like the, consum- the generators, are like thinking about how to split up their the monolith, the kind of main service we have, and they're looking at how best componentize that, how best to create a different service out of that, and they're essentially doing this kind of work, like for us, not doing for us, but doing it for any to it. But they are doing, they're starting to think about, you know, what bits of data go, should, you know, what bits of the, um, the monolith our best grouped together and it'd be like entities like payments over here, events and webbooks over here, and things like that. Um, and then when as they split up this um, this monolith and they start need to like think about how they publish that data to the consumers, they're naturally kind of be thinking or we hope anyway, they're naturally thinking about um, about like how the data best goes together for the consumers. Um, so yeah we have we not done anything explicit on our side. We haven't tried to do any sort of main modeling or anything like that. Um, if, on, if we're honest, we, we didn't think about it so much. We more thought about, like, hopefully getting consumers generated talking together will lead to the right results. But actually, because we are doing this at the same time as the engineering teams, are think about scaling, a bit about componentizing, I think about a more service oriented architecture. But i naturally thinking about these kind of questions anyway.
0: Yeah. I, I, well, and it's, it's everything is an evolution, right? It's uh, everything is a journey. Um, even people that, like Zalando's been doing data mesh for two years and they're like, Hey, we're still kind of early in our journey. <laughs> People are like, what? That's, that's terrifying. And it's like, no, like your if your company's early in its journey, if your company is, is evolving, then your setups and things are going to evolve your, the way you, you work with each other. Um, So kind of circling back on the specific technology stuff, if someone were to look at implementing data contracts, what what advice would you give them early days? Would you, you know, is it start small or is it don't do X or Y or Z or do really focus on this? Is it, you know, make sure that the flow works for both parties so that you're not just providing something for the producers and not the consumers the consumers and, and not the producers or what 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 would you give as as general advice
1: yeah i think the best place to start really is is just talking to the general consumer and making sure that you you understand the problem you're trying to solve for today so like i wouldn't recommend like you look at Someone knows a data mesh architecture and try and build that into your company, like that's probably not going to succeed. So, what problems do you have today and how can you incrementally start making it better? And for us, the, the problems were really around reliability and discoverability of the data. And that's why we started off with sort of schemas and documentation and a defined contract. Um, and yeah, but we spent, particularly myself and, and our, our product manager, we spent, we spent so much time over the last sort of year just talking to talking to consumers, really understanding what they want to see out of this and really getting them on board, getting them bought in um, because there's no point building the tooling if you can't convince anyone to use it. That's just a complete waste of effort. So, and yeah, so putting all that effort in, putting all those kind of uh, in by talking to these consumers and talking to the generators is what has allowed us to get in the position where we can confidently say we're going to turn off the old architecture, the CDC architecture sort of by Q3 this year and no one's like screaming. Um, obviously it may have be seen like, when it comes to priorities, that's when it's going to, you know, if they got prioritized prioritize that against something else, that's when the conversation will happen. But in terms of the direction we're going in, everyone's kind of bought on board with that, whether they're generators, whether they're consumers, um, whether they're exec team, everyone's kind of bought on board with the direction we're going in. Um, and yeah, that's the most important thing really, otherwise it's, it's, you're not going to succeed, no matter how good your tooling is.
0: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. and. Um, from, I'm guessing, I I don't want to assume, but I'm guessing that the uh, culture prior to really going down this journey, it wasn't as much communication between the consumers and and the producers. How did you kind of grease the skids there? How did you make that so that it was um, something where it wasn't a a combative (laughs) kind of conversation? It was A high empathy one of hey we need you to uh hey producers we need you to be aware of what people are consuming how and why and hey consumers we need you to go into these meetings and not just be like you keep breaking my stuff and here are my 700 requests like how do you how have you made that conversation work
1: yeah um so i think we're quite lucky in a way because although we are a data infrastructure team, we don't report to the data org, we report to the product engineering org at GoCardless. So we've always been more on the um, engineering side, we're involved in the engineering side, um, and we have contacts there, and um, you know, we attend those kind of meetings, regular meetings and things like that. Um, while at the same time, one of our primary, consumer, um, primary customers are the BI and data science, so we always hear a lot from them. We're kind of like in the middle. Um, also, me personally, I have like, I've been working in data for the last sort of eight years or so. Um, before that, I was I wasn't working there. I was just like an engineer. So I, I've more, got more of an engineering background than data, I'm not a pure data engineering background. So I feel like I find it quite easy to talk to, to engineers, and like this analogy about the API really has really helped. Um, and yeah, with the um, engineers, we're not just we haven't gone to them and said like you need to produce better data. We've gone to them and said like you know yeah, you do need to produce that data, data, and this is why. And this is the tool that we're going to provide to help you do that. And at the same time, we're going to give you much more autonomy, uh, which we know they're asking for. They want autonomy to manage their own data, decide how to structure it, decide how to manage it, to assign permissions on it without having to create tickets to us, um, to transform it using tools like DBT, if I wish. Um, you know, these engineers, they want to do this kind of data stuff. Also, the engineers, they don't, they didn't realise that they were broken Downstream services. I didn't wanna do it on purpose, I just didn't know. And they want to do the right things, you know. So um yeah, I found it quite easy. Yeah, exactly. Like you mentioned, like it's been being empathetic in these discussions. About ensuring you um change kind of your the way you're selling it, depending on who you're talking to. So if I'm talking to the sort of consumers that are going to emphasize some points about date contracts, talk to the generators but other points, might be about touring, about autonomy, um, talk to managers might be like at different points. So yeah, each conversation is kind of different, trying to work out exactly who your audience is and trying to phrase your, um, trying to persuade them like using the kind of language that they want to be hearing, you know, speaking their language.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's push and pull, right? It, it is yeah. like what, what I've been saying is if you just push, Um, additional responsibilities onto the engineering team's plate, right? You say, oh, you're going to have to uh, serve your data in this way with, you know, these guarantees and blah, 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 just do it. That's, you know, uh, what I call a dot, 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 not nice move, right? If you're not giving them more resources in the form of tooling or of, okay, we're going to, you know, maybe slow down the uh, pace a little bit as to how you're changing the application or whatever it is, or, or that autonomy is kind of a resource. It's it's a of, of value to them. But you'd have to have that value exchange of, okay, I'm not just throwing additional work on
1: them <laughs> without,
0: yeah. without yeah. actually helping them out in some way. So uh, I think this is the a through line that I'm hearing over and over. And it it feels kind of obvious when you say it out loud, but there's a lot of things that are just not said out loud, right? Like that consumer producer relationship that the producers don't know what their changes are going to break. And they, they, to me, they literally can't care because there's no way for them to actually test what it's going to break until they break this stuff. And so you're stuck in analysis paralysis. You can't move forward. If you're like, I don't know what I'm going to break. So I'm not going to do this. Cause I might break something. Then you can't know what you're going to break. So you can't do anything. And it's like, okay, then you can't evolve your application and your company is going to be in real, real trouble. So exactly, yeah. I think this, this, a lot of what you're saying echoes the same thing that we're seeing within data mesh as to what's working and kind of what you've talked about is the, the before state is also the same thing. And so I'm trying to figure out for a company of your size, I don't think people really need to go towards data mesh because there's certain requirements that really need to be met versus at your stage, it makes a lot of sense to just start to in the tooling to make it so that the producers and the consumers can have those conversations and care, and that they you can serve up the quality data, you know, with all the different things that you talked about with quality. Um, it, it just it's it's resonating with me more and more because you're not the only one who's talked about this, but you're one of those who I think is moving towards a good solution faster than than I think a lot of people are. And it's funny how much people love CDC, except for when it comes to actually the data people, because <laughs> it just <laughs> it doesn't generate data in the way that you want it to. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've covered a whole lot of different things here. Uh, I think there's been a lot of really useful information in this for folks. Um, is there anything that we didn't really talk about that you think is important for people to to know whether it's it's anti patterns or patterns or just like how do you how do you get those uh, producers and consumers into the room initially and and uh, keep the peace or like what anything that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about or any advice you have for folks that are kind of running into the same challenges?
1: No, I think we covered pretty much everything. I think yeah, the key point really is just like with their contracts, I always say to people. It's a bit about tooling, but it's mostly about the concepts around data contracts. It's about communication. It's about documentation. It's about trust. Um, it's about autonomy. It's those kind of things. So, like, you know, as well as our internal data, we get a lot of data from third-party services, places like Salesforce, those kind of things, and they've got the same sort of problems on there. But also, we can't put code into Salesforce as such. Um, but like, if someone wants to create a word document with describing the data, documenting it, and and committing not to to break it you kind of got a contract there that's a contract that's a state contract as much as there's no tooling support for that but like the concepts are all there um so yeah i think like with this with with date mesh as well but and with particular date contract the concepts are more important than the tooling
0: yeah i i think the the word contract if you don't trust the other party is the contract worth that the, the paper it's printed on, right? Like it's it, okay, great. We have a contract, we have an agreement, but if I can't trust this other person, eh, eh. <laughs> right? Exactly, yeah. So um, yeah, no, this, is, this has been uh, an awesome conversation. I'm going to drop the link to your uh, post in the show notes as well. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Do you prefer just LinkedIn or
1: Yeah, LinkedIn is probably best for these kind of conversations. I'm on Twitter, but I better use it. So yeah, LinkedIn is probably best.
0: Okay, and uh, if people have questions and things like what, what do you want people reaching out to you about? Is there just kind of what you're doing, or do you want to be having more conversations about this, or what's the best thing for people to reach out to you about?
1: Yeah, I'm keen to hear um, about anyone else trying to do similar things, their challenges. Um, If you're further ahead than us, then like great to hear. What's gone well for you? What your challenges were, Uh, or if you're just thinking about getting started, then hopefully I can I can help give you some advice there based on what we've learned. But yeah, always happy to hear from uh, anyone trying trying to solve the same challenges that we are trying to solve.
0: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and uh, I I think I don't want to create another community, (laughs) right? Uh, I've already got enough on my hands, but I, I think this is one of those. Uh, conversations or or topics that is just it's top of mind for a uh, a whole lot of folks at this time because we're just how do you create systems that can enforce that trust or that can measure that trust right so that it's not you know producer and consumer against each other it's like hey we can measure this and and that especially that the producers can understand, okay, if we do this change, it's going to have this negative impact. So let's figure out how we can change that, what we're, what we're going to change. So, um, well, th- this has been so great, Andrew. Thank you so much for the time today. And thanks everyone for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Andrew Jones, the tech lead of the data infrastructure team at Go Cardless. You can find his contact information as well as the link to the post that I had mentioned in the show notes. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own a- industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis, you know, read kind of throw it on the credit card don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that the services include lots of practitioner roundtables you know one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest you know what what are you actually running into challenges with we also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.